Hello and welcome to Fee Play Love and this episode of Helpline with Mothercraft nurse Chris Minogue. Chris has over 30 years of experience helping families with their babies and small children and managing the juggle that is family life. If you'd like to ask Chris your questions today, you can either pop them underneath this video and uh, if you're watching us live on Facebook. If you are listening to us through the podcast, however, you'll need to email us at helpline at theparentbrand.com.au. Uh, we also have a Facebook group, actually, so you can direct mail us on that, but we won't get to your questions until next week. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm really well, thanks. Good to have you back on the show. Uh, Let's jump into it because we have quite a few questions here. This first one comes from Sarah on our email. She says, my 10-month-old is having some sleep troubles and I feel like I need to tweak something to help her. So I'm turning to the experts. She is breastfed and on solids three times a day. Her usual sleep pattern was slash is down for the night, sleepy but awake at 7 or 7.30 after a bath, bottle, book and nursery rhyme. A feed once overnight, anywhere from 2 till 5, up for the day, anywhere between 6.30 and 7.30 a.m. I generally aim to get her down two and a half hours after waking in the mornings. She will sleep anywhere from one to two hours for this sleep. Then I aim to get her down again in the afternoon About three hours after she wakes, she will sleep anywhere from one and a half to two hours for that sleep. The problem has become that she's taking anywhere up to one hour to go to sleep at night once we put her down and then is quite restless for anywhere up to two to three hours after this. She can also take up to an hour to go to sleep for her second nap, which often means a much shorter wake window before bed. That is two hours. Her last meal of the day is generally around 5 p.m. She refuses to be spoon-fed now, so it's all finger foods. Her last feed before bed is breast milk via the bottle by my husband, and she won't take much more than 150 to 170 mils. Do I need to tweak her naps to help her with her nights, or is it something else? She also generally seems more reliant on us to help settle her than she used to, leading me to wonder if I should be doing something differently or whether to blame teething. (laughs) Well, Sarah, thanks for all the information. That really helps us to give a really clear answer for you. And I think she's actually doing well. We just need to tweak the timing. So for a 10-month-old, they do have three meals and three milk feeds in the day. Um, But I think you're putting her to bed for her sleep cycles a little bit early, and that's knocking on to your nights because she's sleeping so well for you in the day. So if I gave you an example of how to do it from seven, um, if she was awake at seven, she'd get a milk feed. Uh, Then about an hour later, she'd have breakfast, but she stays up for three hours in that window. So she'd go down at 10 and that first sleep, we only give her an hour. And this is, I think, is going to help you because um, it's going to give us more space across the day. So going down at 10, up at 11, then she might have a little snack. Her lunch um, would probably be about 12.30. The next window of keeping her awake is three and a half hours. So if she got up at 11, she's going to go down at 2.30. And when she goes down at 2.30, she then um, will wake up at about 4.30. Dinner would be at 5. And the last bottle feed, I think, that you're giving should be more between 7 and 7.30. So the last sequence of the day is between three and three and a half hours. And because she's starting late into the day, that 7, 7.30, it's going to push her whole day later. 
So their day is about 13 hours long. So if she's getting up at seven, she'll probably be in bed closer to eight. So bottle at 7.30 and down. And I think what that will do is knock out all those little behaviours you're seeing around the sleep and the settle. And then the reason that she's not taking enough in that bottle is purely because the dinner and the bottle are too close together or she's eating too much at dinner, but she's finger fooding. So she's probably eating reasonably for her age. I think they're just coming too close. And so therefore she doesn't take as much in the bottle. But thanks for all the information. And I think just tweaking it to three hours, then three and a half hours, and then three or three and a half hours, and only a one hour sleep, she can have two to two and a half in the afternoon. So I think it's just a tweak and she'll be back on track. This next question comes from Sinead on our Facebook Live. She says, hi, Chris, my baby's hands are keeping her from falling asleep, but I can't swaddle her because she's now rolling. What do you suggest? She gets so tired and frustrated. I've tried swaddling one arm down and one that she can have access to. Yeah. So we don't know how old this little one is. Doesn't say, but may... uh, I mean, I know there's a big gap between rolling, but yeah. when they start and... Yeah, so if we assume she's between five and six months, which is when they're rolling consistently and, and parents are looking at taking their arms out, it does take a few days for them to adjust and it feels like you're stepping backwards in a way. So once they're rolling from their back to their front really consistently, then it's time to really assess the way that they're swaddled or wrapped and it's time to put them into a sleeping bag. So what I normally do is similar to what Sinead has done is I let one arm out and that takes them about three to four days to get used to how they move that hand and flapping and all those sorts of things. So she might need some extra settling like rolling on the side and patting and then gently rolling her back on her back again for sleep. Um, And then after a few days, I take the second arm out And again, it's going to take her three to four days to adjust to that. And then she gets used to her arms being free and whether she's going to suck them or tuck them into herself. A lot of parents at this point don't want to do that sort of one arm, then two arms. So they take both arms out and it's just chaotic for a couple of days. But you get more consistency. If the baby rolls to its side, you can just pat them on their side because their arms are free, their cot is free of, of any clutter in a safe sleeping position. And after three or four days, um, the baby's behaviour will settle down. So you've got to give them that little bit of time. It won't take one day. It'll take about four days for them to get used to their arms out. Sinead just let us know that her little baby's four months old. Does it make any difference to that advice you just gave? Given so at four months, they baby. can sometimes incidentally roll. So if you put them in tummy time, they'll roll from their front to their back. But that's not the one that concerns us. It's the one from their back to their front because we can't see them doing that. So sometimes at four months, what the parents are seeing is they've put their baby into tummy time. The baby lifts its arm. Its head's still heavy and it goes flip. And they think that's rolling, but it's actually the intentional role of being on their back and then being on their front that's dangerous to them in a bed. So if she's not rolling from back to front, then she could go back to swaddling for a little bit longer until she sees that. Um, But if she is doing back to front and doing it quite regularly, you know, she can roll herself over on the floor every time you put her down, then again she'd have to do this behaviour of freeing her arms and putting her in a sleeping bag. 
Okay. Our next question comes from Rayanna on our Facebook Live. She says, do you have any advice on how to stop my two-year-old son, who may be autistic, from crying so much he vomits mm-hmm. when put to bed? It's very distressing, very distressing for him and us. I bet it is. Yeah. I think in this case where you're also investigating other behaviours, I go quite um, gently and giving quite a lot of reassurance. And I know in the area of autism, um, they often have difficulty with sleep and sleep behaviour. And so I think with this one, I'd be speaking with um, your GP or your developmental paediatrician and getting a few ideas on what you can do there. But I would go gently. So I might give him more time. I might sit longer with him, um, uh, a calm, really calm, dim environment. He probably needs lots of reassurance. So in this one, it's a little bit more difficult than a you know, a two-year-old that you can give them a warning, tell them to lay on their bed, there's a consequence for it, kisses, and then, you know, if they do the right thing, we do kisses and cuddles. I think in this case we have to see what he can cope with and where he's sitting, and you might need the help of your developmental paediatrician as to what he can cope with. So that I personally would go slower, so give him more time. Say we normally give... Um, like 15 minutes to get a child at that age to go to sleep, we might give him half an hour just to make it much more um, reassuring to him and make him feel a bit more secure. And you'll probably do more sitting on the bed and reassuring him and patting him um, until you can get out of the room. So I think this one's time and patience till you see where he's sitting um, developmentally and then, you know, feel free to come back to us um, when you've got a little bit more information, we can give you a bit more structure at the time. This question comes from Diana on our Facebook Live. She says, what are the best consequences I can use for my two- and four-year-olds? I feel mm. like my kids just don't listen to me most of the day. <laughs> welcome well, to the country. Welcome to the world. <laughs> Not listening. Mm. Um, I think everybody's very individual on how they correct their children's behaviour. Um, especially with two and four-year-olds because they're two very different age groups. So two-year-olds, we would expect lots of behaviour, lots of boundary pushing um, and trying to get the understanding of how to listen. So it depends what the problem is. Is it that they won't listen to you and you have to repeat it over and over again, which is one common problem. The other one is they're listening but they don't do it. So, you know, first we have to find out where they're sitting So with both age groups, um, they tend to need warnings. So if you say to them, come to dinner now, they usually will not come because they're engrossed in their own activity. So it often needs, in this case, I would treat them much the same. We're going to have dinner soon. You'll need to start to pack up. So not so much a consequence, but helping them um, move from one activity to another. And the second thing I would try is eye contact. So if you're saying from the kitchen and they're in the lounge room, come to dinner, the chances are they are not going to come to dinner. So going to them, sitting down and saying, we're going to have dinner in five minutes, you need to start packing up, will really help those transitions and that will cut down the conflict between the two um, at both of those ages. I think they do need you to sit and look at them and tell them what's going on. So that one is slow the transitions down, that might decrease the amount of confrontation but once you're in it that's a whole different thing and I think this is a really tough one so what I tend to tell parents is 
you need to understand what your parenting style is because you can imagine there's so many different answers to this question. So what sort of parenting style do you have? And you're just wading through this, but what you're trying to teach them is boundaries, um, borders and boundaries. So how far can they push you and what happens when they push too far? So with a two-year-old, if it gets out of control, I'm probably doing something as, as simple as a bit of time out where I'm present in the room and um, then reminding them. So say she's not listening, um, she's done something that warrants you taking it a bit further, then I'd maybe sit her in a chair and say, we do not throw toys. Um, and then I'd give her a minute or two to calm down and then I'd reinforce it, we do not throw toys in this house and then distract her into another activity. But with a four-year-old, they have a little bit more cognitive development. They can handle a little bit more. So I still do the same thing, but I do it more reflective. So say that four-year-old's um, pushed her little sister over or something like that, you know, she's trying to get that time and attention. They might take her to the room and sit her down again, being quiet, giving time out and space, and then saying to her, you know, be reflective on her emotions. So um, why did you push little Jane over? And she'll say, because she took my toy. Okay, well, we don't do that in our family. We, um, uh, you know, talk to each other or come to mummy for help or something along those lines and then say to her, how do you think that made Jane feel? So you can be a bit more reflective with them. And if it's really bad, and it'd need to be really bad, like quite physical, then I'd probably say, look, you know, we don't do that in our family. So tonight when you go to bed, you're, you're not having some stories, but I'll still be in to cuddle and, and kiss you goodnight. So it's, it's a very gentle version of it. It doesn't have to be too complicated because they're trying to sort it out and you're trying to sort out as a parent what does discipline and consequence look like for you in the family. The next, the next question comes from M on our Facebook Live. She says, my almost four-year-old has been toilet trained for two years but still wears a nappy during the night. She has never been dry overnight and I had no plans to train her until she showed she was starting to become dry. But she is desperate not to wear a nappy at night and cries each bedtime saying she's not a baby anymore. Mm -hmm. I explained she's still learning to be dry at night but it breaks my heart to see her so upset about it. What can I do? Should I still wait until she is dry to take it off or do I have give her a go at being nappy free? Okay, so this is a good one because just like the previous question with a four-year-old, we can, we can talk a lot more to them and give them an understanding of what we're going to do. So um, the first thing I would do is see whether she can be toilet trained. So maybe for the next two weeks you actually pick her up at before the last person goes to bed, 10 o'clock, 10.30, take her to the toilet, do a wee, is she then dry in the morning? Because then that's a really positive thing for her and say, look, we took you to the toilet and you did a wee and, you be, and your nappy's dry, that's great, we're moving in the right direction. So that'd be a really positive thing for her. If you took her to the toilet, she did a wee and she was still very wet in the morning, the second thing I would be looking at is how she takes fluid in the day. So these days everybody gets a big drink bottle and they're drinking like crazy. But actually, just a generation ago, we just used cups. And so we probably night trained babies much quicker because they were only using cups. So is she having too much fluid too close to going to bed? And is it generally other than being in a park, when she's at home, she should be drinking out of a cup. So just looking at that as well. 
can she do a wee before she goes to bed? So does she actually empty her bladder before she goes to bed? Or are you putting that nappy on too early and she's actually doing the wee in the nappy? So um, I do the night training, night toilet, and see how you go. Um, and then if you get success with that and it's getting lighter and lighter, then um, I'd probably put 10 nappies up and say, let's see if we can have 10 dry nappies without stressing her. So it doesn't matter if it's wet in the morning. Um, doing the wee beforehand, you managing the water intake and see if we can move this forward. But there are some children that just do not night train until they're seven or eight years old. So just reassure, reassure her that sometimes it does take time, but I think you have to actively help her because otherwise she'll still be wearing a nappy, you know, when she's eight or nine or ten. So let's try actively helping her and see how you go. Good luck with that one. Uh, this one comes from Kelly in our helpline group. Hi there. I'm hoping you might be able to help me sort out a feeding mystery. My baby is now five months old. She's breastfed and was taking a bottle with either breast milk or formula up till she hit the four-month sleep regression stage. Now she doesn't want to take the bottle at all. Do you have any advice? I'm due to return to work in four weeks' time and I really need her to get back on the bottle. Okay, so this is really common around four months when you've been given one bottle. Um, they just get smarter. So everybody talks about the regression, but we actually know it's an awareness, not a regression. And she's just become more aware what a breast feels like versus what the bottle feels like. And because she was maybe only getting it once a day, it was very easy for her to reject it. But now that you're going back to work, the good thing is you know she can take a bottle. So it's not like she's never had a bottle. She can take a bottle. And you need to work out how many bottles she's going to be taking while you're at work. So are you back to work two days a week, three days a week or full time? And if you were back two days a week, it's going to be a little bit harder. But what you need to do is mimic the feeds that she'll be missing um, when, she, when you're back at work with bottles and start mimicking them now. So say you're going to back to work three days a week and you're going to miss the 10 o'clock bottle or 9, 10 o'clock bottle or feed and the 1.30, feed, then you need to start just offering the bottles in those timeframes, okay, to mimic your work days until she's taking the bottles. And then you have to mimic your work days. So every Monday and Tuesday she gets a bottle at 10 and a bottle at 3 and then the other day she breastfeeds. You need initially a four-hour window between the previous breastfeed and that bottle to start with. You need warm milk, whatever the milk form is that you're trying to do, and ideally you would start it with breast milk, so you might need to do some expressing to, to get your volume, and then along the way you could probably change that to formula if that's what you feel you need to do. So I think you need to, um, or this is the most common mistake, is if they don't take the bottle, they then substitute it with a breastfeed. And so the baby just holds on till they get the breastfeed. So when you're mimicking, even if she only takes 30 mils in the bottle or 50 mils in the bottle or 150 mils in the bottle, that's what she gets for that feed. And then the next feed, she'll take more in that one. So if you do this sort of gentle wean into the, into the bottle feeding that you need, you'll find that she'll adapt and you've got time to do it. So you need to sort of get onto it sooner rather than later. The next question comes from Leanne on our Facebook Live. She says, one of my 13-month-old twins has only slept through the night a couple of times throughout his first year. He constantly wakes and needs help to resettle. 
His sister sleeps through the night if we can keep him from waking her. They share a room. I'm a single mother with a full-time job and have not had a full night's sleep since they were born. Please tell me that what I'm doing wrong besides putting them to bed with a dry diaper and a full tummy. Help. Look, I think it's really hard um, with twins because you want to save one twin, the good twin, good sleeping twin, I should say, not the good twin, but the good sleeping twin. So you often overcompensate the baby that's not sleeping well by jumping in there too quick. And also, you know, you're a single mum and you're doing a great job and all of those types of things. So what I would do is you'll need a Friday, Saturday, Sunday night and I would pull the baby that's sleeping well for you out and put her into your room in a porticot so we can have the chance to correct the behaviour of the other twin in his bed, in his room, and over those three nights sort of get him to self-settle and resettle and correct that pattern of sleep. And by the fourth night, which will be the first day back at work, say the Monday night, we should be able to put them together and get them to settle together. So this depends on how you get him back to sleep normally. So we probably at 13 months would need to do it more in a self-settling way, so a period of crime and a period of comfort, what you're feeling comfortable and repeating that till he goes to sleep. So that very first night on that Friday night, it could take you an hour or an hour and a half of leaving him for three, five minutes, going in, laying him down, patting him. But over the next three nights, it should get better and better and better. So if we have your second twin in your room in the porticot, then you've got, you've got that chance to actually do that, okay? And then from there, you'll be able to um, put, put them back together. And if you need some gentle settling, it should be fine. The first twin will be fine with that. So I think this is a little bit complicated, but you need a bit of a plan to do it, and I'd do it across the weekend. We have a question from Shauna on our Facebook Live. I'm pregnant with bub number two. My first delivery ended up being a very scary emergency C-section, which took me ages to recover from. This time I'm having an elective C-section, but I'm worried about how my recovery will be this time when I have a toddler to look after as well. Is there anything I can do ahead of time to make the first six weeks easier physically? Yeah, I think in this case, um, the first thing is your recovery will be quicker because you already know what your body can do. Um, and uh, there's a difference between an elective and an emergency because you've been through a whole labour and then you end up with an emergency Caesar after it. So you're physically so much tired. Whereas this one, we've got a time and a date, barring you going into labour, but we've got a time and a date that you're going to have the baby. So you'll be more rested going into it. You'll know how your body can recover from it. So the first thing I'd be thinking at this point is what sort of support do I have around? Because like them all, that first four to six weeks, depending on how you recover, you can't drive the car and you can't really lift heavy things. So this question is more about um, what support do you have and when do you need it and talking to your partner and working out what's the best time for him to have off. Um, so if your mum can have a week off and then your mother-in-law or your sister can have a week off and then your um, partner has some time off, you're getting more uh, assistance across that first six weeks of recovery. 
The second thing is helpful things are like if he goes to daycare, getting them to take him to daycare and getting that in place before this new baby comes so that you're not having to get in and out of that car to get him to daycare, even though somebody else might be driving. So if grandma's around, before you have the baby, she gets used to dropping him off at daycare and picking him back up again. This is about support. Your body will recover much better just because it knows what you're doing and you've had a baby two years ago. So I think this one is finding that support system around you and working out the best way that they're actually going to help you. But you, you'll be surprised at how well you feel with this second cesarean section. Pinky on our Facebook Live says, I have a five-month-old who's been breastfeeding. I want to start bottle feeding before I get back to work and have been trying to offer a bottle for the last two weeks with breast milk but she doesn't like it at all no I've had no success yet getting her to feed from a bottle please help I think this is one of the biggest struggles that I see because there's that whole thing about breastfeeding but when women are going back to work what I would call quickly as in six months after they've had a baby it's different to say a 10 month old a 10 month is more developed and also is used to having spoons and all sorts of things in their mouth. So putting a bottle in their mouth is sometimes really easy to do. And they have less feeds in the day, whereas a little five-month-old's having four or five feeds within the day. So the first thing I would do here is get very regular at your feeds so that they're all nicely um, rhythmic would be the word. I wouldn't do a routine of it, but nice and rhythmic, about every three and a half hours during the day. So get a nice feeding pattern and then work out which of those feeds you need to be bottle feed and start by either yourself or your partner giving those bottles at that regular time and it's going to take time and patience. And the key thing here is if you've offered a bottle, don't offer a breastfeed straight after because that will confuse them and they'll just keep rejecting the bottle. A lot of people put a lot of focus on the bottle itself um, so you end up with a catalogue of bo bottles, one of everything. But actually, in fact, you just have to pick a bottle and use the bottle. I tend to find with the older babies, the standard bottles, the straight up and down skinny bottles work the best. And for her teeth size, it should be a medium and the milk should be warm. Okay, so even if you express just little 50 mil ones first and then increase because <laughs> parents aren't good at wasting precious breast milk that they've expressed. If you ultimately want her in formula, just start with the formula and put it in the bottle and away you go. This isn't easy, so it can be um, quite difficult to do. Um, this is about time and patience to be able to do it. And my top tip on bottle feeding is don't hold her in the position that you normally would. So I often put them in a bouncy chair and just feed them the bottle that way. Uh, without being held where they think they're going to get a breastfeed. And that might help you get her established on the bottle. We have time for one last question. This is from Alex on the email. She says, I'm lucky to have my mum live in the same suburb as me. I also have great, great memories of monthly sleepovers at my grandmother's as a child. My daughter takes a bottle and has already spent lots of time alone with my mum. I'm wondering when would be a good time to introduce this to my breastfed seven-month-old and how would I do this to make it as stress-free as possible? All right. Um, well, similar to the other, the other um, questions that we've had, 
Um, it's just about a slow introduction into the, the pattern that you'd like that baby to have. Um, and if there's been a child beforehand that you've done this with, I'd go in a similar way. Um, so I'd just start slowly and introduce it in short periods and then increase the periods of time. And then before you know it, especially with a big seven-month-old, they're so sociable and so engaging that I think you'll find that within a couple of days or a couple of weeks, depending on how fast you're doing it, that baby will have adjusted to the pattern, you know, just as your first baby did. So I think that in, in essence, um, it'll just take a little bit of time and you'll be there. Okay, well, that's all we had time for. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And oh, that's questions. a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks, Siobhan. And I should mention that if you had a question and you didn't, didn't get the chance to ask Chris Minogue, she is one of our experts at babyology. So there'll be links in the notes of this episode and on the live Facebook where you can jump online, go to the parent school and book a one-on-one -on -one session with Chris where you actually get to have a face-to-face -face conversation mm -hmm. online. Uh, and it's a really great way to get the advice specifically tailored for you, particularly if you missed out today. Um, and we will be back next week. Thanks again, Chris. Pleasure. Bye. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.